This is Radiance Tape Number JD43D, a message by Jim Durkin, entitled, Learning to Hate Evil. I'm going to minister a continuation of the subject that we've been preaching on for some weeks now, with the exception of last week. I'd like you to bow your heads with me in a word of prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, we believe most assuredly that not only have you opened our eyes to this particular truth, but, Lord, you've commanded it to be preached also. And so, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I ask you, Father, to anoint this entire service, knowing, Lord, that we are under a mantle of your divine protection. I ask you, Father, to bring into captivity every thought to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pull down every stronghold, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, every imagination contrary to the purposes of the Spirit, and let this message become a clear revelation, mighty Father. Grant this now, Lord, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You understand that what we've been ministering on is the range now of Satan's activities. I've already spoke to you how he operates in the religious realm, how he operates in the political realm. I will, in future teachings, show you how he operates in world system dominion, how he operates to bring men into captivity everywhere. Now, you must understand that Satan never sleeps. You must understand that his operation is going on continually, if not by himself directly, and very rarely is it directly. I mean, he doesn't come to me because he's where he has to be. Maybe at times he has come to me, times to you. But generally speaking, it's one of his angels which are under his charge. They're fallen angels. It's one of the demonic spirits which are under his control. Or it is the result of this world system being so impregnated with satanic thought that it is constantly propagating his ideas, his teachings, his doctrines. The Bible warns us particularly in the last days that men will give heed to what? Seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. We're talking about a concerted plan. The minds, the hearts, the actions, the lives of the whole world will be brought under control. Now the thing which has constantly upset this plan of worldwide domination has been the intrusion of God's Spirit and God's truth into this darkness. There was a time when the Bible prophesied about the whole world sitting in darkness. And even John, prophesying of his day and certainly our own, said the whole world lieth in wickedness, King James, version of the Greek, says the whole world lieth in the lap of the wicked one. Talking about like the whole world is sitting in Satan's lap. Now, the Old Testament refers to those who are under Satan's dominion or domination as being prisoners. 
He is a despot. He is a dictator. He is a usurper. In every way, he works against the principles of God. And most importantly, and this is why I brought to you his operation in the religious realm, most importantly, he works in the church world. He has the rest of the world under his control. And the only way they can escape him is if the operation of God causes someone under a powerful witness to go into the devil's prison house and set someone free. Now, as I'll read some of those scriptures that describe this activity of the devil and describe this bondage that the devil has over man. But his primary concern is to operate in the church world to get the church to accept certain concepts or ideas contrary to the Word of God, which will cause us to lose the ministry that Christ intended us to have and to accept His ideas, which will render us useless in doing the work that the Lord Jesus Christ sent us to do. The Bible says in the last days it will go even further than this mere nullifying of the purposes of God. And I want to show you how this nullifying is done because it worked in Christ's day. You see, even in the Old Testament, healing was provided there for the children of Israel. There was a way by which they could offer certain sacrifices to God and expect to be healed. And yet Christ Jesus made a point saying that there were many lepers in the days of Naaman. There were many lepers in the days of Elisha the prophet. But only Naaman the Syrian was healed because they had gotten so far away from the understanding of what God wanted of them and what God wanted to give them. Their minds had become so beclouded and so befuddled with this satanic activity that they no longer understood God's truth. Jesus in His own day when He came to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, heal the lepers, said to the people of His day, Your tradition has made void the Word of God. It is possible for certain things creeping in which by themselves are not necessarily harmful, taken by themselves. You say, look at this particular thing. Is it harmful? Taken by itself? No. But when you integrate it into the worship of God, when you make it a vehicle by which you approach God, after a very short time, you begin to look at the vehicle by which you approach God, and you begin to lose that direct approach to God, which is so necessary to keeping your mind and your spirit clear so that you may understand God's Word. And the next thing that happens... Our minds are filled up with our vehicles 
And we don't even read the Word of God anymore. And the vehicles become the things which we begin to worship. Jesus said, by your tradition, you have made void the Word of God. In this day and time, until just recently, there has been a lethargy. There has been a sleepiness upon the church so taken up were they with their vehicles of approach to God, with their vehicles of outreach, that you could literally take the Word of God and say, do you not see that God says to do this? And they would say, like I said for so many years, I know that Jesus says this, but... And then I would explain about the vehicle which I had come to hold in great esteem before God, and I literally would lay aside the words of the eternal God, and I would look to my vehicle as the means by which I could approach to God. And the whole thing was an abomination. My ability to reach people for Christ was gone. My usefulness to God was gone. And I had nothing to give Him at all. Now, let's see something about the nature of Satan himself how he works, and then you'll understand why he's constantly working on the church. You see, God has given to His church eternal life. What a wondrous thing that we are going to live forever and not just exist forever. That would be of no value, believe me. All kinds of people are sick and tired of existence, period. So much so that they put an end to their lives. We're not talking about existing forever. We're talking about living forever. Hallelujah. I had never begun to live until I came to Jesus Christ and He cleansed me of my sin, removed the burden of guilt from me, and set me upon the rock. Hallelujah and gave me a place in his own family. I began to live. Now my life is growing and growing as the revelation of Jesus Christ increases, and he tells me that I am going to live forever. Hallelujah. Well, that's something to rejoice about. Amen. He further tells me that he wants me to prosper and to be in health, even as my soul prospers. Oh, what He hath blessed us, the Bible says, with all spiritual blessing from on high. What a wondrous thing He surrounded us with. These things are ours. And yet, you look around at the average Christian. As I look back on my life, you look around at the average Christian, and what do you find? That they do not have these blessings. Now, let's see what happened. Let's look now at John 10. John 10 and verse 10. Speaking now, Satan, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come contrasting these two great arch enemies, one totally opposed to the purposes of God, his name is Satan, one totally committed to the purposes of God, God's only begotten Son, Jesus. One, he says about Satan, he's a thief. And he comes for one purpose only. What is that? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. 
Jesus said on the contrasting part, I am come that they might have what? Life. And what kind of life? That more abundantly. Hallelujah. Now let's look at this scripture. The word thief describes Satan's nature. He was not always a thief, but he became a thief. We sometimes think of a thief and we say, well, a thief is somebody who steals something like an object. Oh, my friend, if the only thing that the devil ever stole from us or attempted to steal from us was some physical object, he could have everything that I possess, and that would be the least of my worries. But that is not what Satan is trying to steal from us. He is trying to steal from us everything that Jesus Christ purchased for us at the cross of Calvary. Not only does he want to take it away from the church, but he wants to keep the whole wide world, which the Bible says Christ has died not only for our sins, but for the sins of all mankind. He's opened the door so that all men can be saved. And the devil wants to take away the key of that entrance. He wants to lock it up, and lock it up he will if we let him. He is a thief. Jesus describes him in another way, said he is a murderer. He is not content to steal. He also intends to kill. And not only is he a murderer, the Bible calls him something else, and it says he is a what? He is a liar. And when he speaks of a lie, he speaks of his own, for it was a liar from the beginning. Now contrast that with what Jesus has to say about himself, and he says, I am the way, and what? The truth and the life. Hallelujah. Steal, kill, destroy, murder, way, truth, life. Hallelujah. Which side do you want to be on? Over here. Hallelujah. I want you to look at some of his activities. Godly man by the name of Job. God does at times permit suffering for his own glory. Sometimes he permits suffering in our bodies or our minds because we've gotten away from him sometimes. Whatever reason, let us see what happens the minute that God's protective power is withdrawn. God is watching over me. God is guarding my spirit. He is guarding your spirit if you know him. If it were not that God were protecting your spirit, Satan would attack you with all force that he has at his disposal, and he would destroy you. The Lord is protecting your soul. He allows Satan only enough ability to attack it to stir up that which God intends to deliver you from. God deliberately allows you at times to walk into some situation where Satan is waiting for you. He brings somebody upon you who persecutes you. 
That isn't God who brings persecution on you, but He lets it happen to you. God allows you to be brought into a place where Satan is standing there waiting to lay upon you some heavy trial. But God does it in mercy. The Bible says, There have no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted. Now, please notice the wording of this. He will not suffer you to be tempted. Now, the Bible says God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So it is not God who tempts. Who tempts us? It is the devil who tempts us. It is the devilish spirit in this world who tempts us. But the Bible says God is faithful and He will not suffer you to be tempted. So it is quite understandable that God withdraws just slightly His protection of your soul and He allows Satan or whatever force that He has at His disposal to come against you and to tempt you. And what is that temptation? Is it toward higher service to God? Or nobler service to man? Or better service to whatever? No. It is always to get you to act in some base and ignoble way. Now, I thank God that He does not let me be tempted above that I am able. It is a carefully, lovingly planned and wonderful thing that he moves back just a little bit. Oh, I'm thoroughly protected. Hallelujah. He just lets one tiny bit of my soul stick out like this. That's all. But I tell you, that's enough for Satan to come at that one little bit of your soul with everything that he has. And God lets it happen. The Satan is a murderer. And if he can, he'll get you to be a murderer. Satan is a liar, and if he can do it, he'll get you to be a liar. Satan is a thief, and if he can do it, he'll turn you into a thief. How often have our young brothers and sisters come to us in times past and said, Brother Durkin, I have stolen something from my brothers and sisters. I came to this place and they gave me love they gave me food they gave me a place to sleep they took me in and now i have stolen from them taken that which was there and i've gone and spent it what do i do now oh yes satan will turn you into a thief and a liar and a murderer if he can but our job is to teach the brothers how to what Overcome temptation, hallelujah. And I want you to know that many of those who have come and confessed in times past of things that they have stolen or wrongs that they have done, today are strong, stalwart Christians walking in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. They've learned how to walk strong in the Lord. But what about those outside of the protection of God? No wonder this world is filled with murder. No wonder this world is filled with robbery. No wonder this world is filled with violence. Violence to the person, violence to the mind, violence to the being, everywhere you see it. 
Turn on the radio, hear the news. Turn on the television, hear the news. Pick up a Time magazine, hear the news. Men have sold their souls for a mess of pottage. They've murdered for a dollar. They've lied for a few dollars. They've stolen anything they could get their hands on. Devil is a liar and a murderer and a thief. Look at Job, a godly man. And God moved back from him a little bit. And Satan had an opportunity to attack him. And what did he do? He robbed him of everything that he held dear. He took from him everything that he could take from him. He took his children from him. He took his possessions from him. He smote his body from head to toe with sore boils so much that he despaired of life itself. He took from him the respect that he had in his family so much so that his wife came to him and said, Why do you not curse God and die, you miserable man? And he had to turn around to her and say, Woman, you speak like a foolish woman. Shall we receive good from the hand of God and not evil? All this, the Bible says, Job did not charge God foolishly nor sin with his lips, but the devil took from him everything. But when that period of testing was over, when he had come out refined and tried as pure gold, God once again surrounded him with a perfect hedge of protection. And I want you to think about that because that's what you have around you a perfect hedge of protection, and gave him back twice what he ever had before. Hallelujah. God is a giver. The devil is a destroyer. God is a savior. The devil is a thief. And brother, sister, we've got to learn how to take power and authority over the devil. And let God's glory manifest itself in this world. Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest. Now this was not Joshua under Moses' command. This was Joshua, high priest. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Now, this wasn't an evil man in the sense of one that didn't want to be around God. Here we find him standing before the angel of the Lord. Here we find him desiring to be in the presence of the Lord. But the Bible shows us a unique picture about this man that standing on his right hand was who? Satan. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to what? Resist him. Here's a man trying to worship God. Here's a man trying to serve God. Now maybe he has sin in his life. Maybe there's failure there. But I'm looking at his heart. He is trying to do right. But what is near him? The Bible says standing on his right hand is Satan to resist him. 
Now let's see the condition of this man until something happens. Some intervention of God has to take place. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. Now here's a man well nigh into the fire. I don't know what put him there. I sometimes look around at my fellow Christians that come to me for counsel. I don't mean just those here, but other places as well. And say, brother, help me. My marriage is coming apart. Brother, help me. My children, I can't win them to Christ. Brother, help me. I am tempted and I can't resist it. And I feel that I'm going to fall or I have fallen. And what do I do now? Help me, help me, help me. Maybe it was like that with this man. He's standing before the Lord and saying, Oh, God, help me. And standing at his right hand is Satan to resist him. And the Bible says this man trying to serve God is clothed in filthy rags. Oh, I tell you something. God doesn't want us that way. It's the devil that wants us that way. It's the devil that wants you to fall. It's the devil that wants you sick. It's the devil that wants you poor. It's the devil that wants to rob you of every good thing in life. And it's God who wants to give you exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think. But I need you to see this contrast. God the giver. God the extravagant. God the abundant. God the loving God. Contrasted with that, Satan the thief, Satan the liar, Satan the murderer. Here he is in filthy rags. Now he appeals to the angel of the Lord and listen to what happens when God comes on the scene. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. Hallelujah. Oh, he's standing there in these horrible, filthy garments. And here, this man was the high priest. The glory of God should have shown out from him, and instead of the glory of God showing out from him, his own nakedness appeared through this filth that he wore. And the angel of the Lord, representing God, said, Now I'm going to show you what God's treatment is like. Take away the filth from him. Hallelujah. And I'll give you a change of raiment. Hallelujah. I'll put a mitre upon your head. And he did something else, too. The first thing he did, he rebuked the devil and told him to head on down the road. Hallelujah. Oh, that's happened in my life. I tell you, there were years that that devil of poverty followed me around everywhere that I went. Everywhere that I went, standing before me, getting behind me, on the right hand and on the left hand, so that no matter where I turned, he brought to naught everything. Until I saw the truth. 
and the truth set me free. Hallelujah. You are the same way. It was the truth that set you free. And how many of you walked on this place or wherever you met Christ loaded with filthy rags and then Christ took them away, cleaned you up, and gave you a new garment. Hallelujah. A new garment. Peter, beloved of Jesus Christ, loved the Lord, came to the Lord and said, Lord, you've told us so many times you're going to die. I don't want you to die. I want you to live. And Jesus turned around and said, Get thee behind me, Satan, speaking to Peter. You're an offense to me, for you savor the things that be of men and not of God, signifying that the things which be of men and the things which be of Satan are one and the same. But the things which be of God are in a class by themselves. And when men become men of God, they begin talking like this book talks. They begin speaking like this book speaks. But Satan would have you speak like men speak. He would have you rationalize away this book. He would rob the power of this book. He would reduce you to your own intellect trying to figure out how to get along in life. Instead of realizing that God wants to lead you and show you how to get along in life. Peter makes a great statement to the Lord. He said, Lord, all right. He got over that place of being rebuked. Then he said, Lord, you're going up there and you say that all men are going to forsake you. No. He said, though all men should forsake you, yet I will not forsake you. I'm ready to fight, Lord. Jesus turned to him and said, Peter, Satan has desired you to sift you like wheat. But I'm going to pray for you, Peter, that your faith fail not. Peter, certain that he was brave, certain that he was strong, I tell you, the best of us are all together vanity when the pressure is really on. If we have any courage, it's God's courage. If we have any wisdom, it's Christ's wisdom. If we have anything at all, it is the gift of God, and that which we have naturally is just not up to the match. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to die. You know what that means? You can't know what it means till you come to that moment. It's easier for me to say, I'm ready to die for you, Jesus. What does that mean? I can only say, Lord, at that day when I stand, if that should be my lot, let your spirit, let your grace, let your mercy, let your courage rest upon me, Lord, that I may give a good account of myself. Oh, but if you think you're brave enough, I tell you, you'll surely fall. You think you're wise enough, the devil will make a fool out of you. You think you're strong enough, he'll show you what weakness really is. But if you know how weak you are, God will be your strength. If you know how much you lack wisdom, the Bible says Christ is made unto us wisdom. If you know how weak you really are and really how cowardly you are when it comes face to face with forces that are far greater than we understand, you come trembling before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I tremble in the natural, but this I know. The Lord is my shepherd.
And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Time came that the Lord was to be taken in the garden of Gethsemane. Peter pulled out his sword. I'm ready, Lord. And he struck off the ear of the servant of Malchus, the high priest. Jesus said to him, Peter, put up your sword. They that take the sword will perish with the sword. He picked up that severed ear and placed it back on and healed him. Healed the man who had come to take him to death. Oh, what a giving God. Jesus is a giver. The devil is a thief. Jesus gives life. The devil is a murderer. Jesus creates. The devil destroys. And he now, this devil, was stirring up the minds of those people, say, take him, take him, kill, kill. And in their minds, though he had done them no wrong, he had committed no evil, he had healed the sick, poor, sick, twisted, demented, tormented people. He had set them free. He had given of himself freely to Israel. He had preached to them of God's love that they had never heard for generations. He was telling about the love of God. He had done no evil to any man. And yet these people were incensed with a desire to kill, 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 kill. Pilate stands talking to him as the trial progresses. And he said, do you not know that I have the power to take your life? Jesus said, you could have no power over me at all except it were given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater condemnation. He was speaking of Satan. God stepped back and allowed his son to enter into that final moment of agony. Why? I'll tell you why. So that you and I do not have to experience that final moment of agony. Hallelujah. Jesus removed the sting of death. Jesus removed the fear of death. Jesus removed even the power of death. It can only seize upon us for a moment and not upon us really, only upon our bodies and lay them down. Temporarily they return to the dust from which they came. The more dirt is thrown in on us. A headstone is erected. Say, here lies James Durkin. Oh, no. Hallelujah. That's not James Durkin. I'm gone. Hallelujah. Just my body. Worms eating it away. Job said the same thing. Though worms eat this body, yet I will behold him and with my eyes and not that of another. Hallelujah. He looked ahead to God's perfect resurrection. So death seizes upon our body and holds it for a moment. But the Bible says the day is coming that there's going to be the redemption of the body. And the devil is trying to hold that body down and say, no, no, no. And the Bible says the day is going to come, and I think it's not too far hence right now, when God is going to say to his son, go back and bring your bride home. Hallelujah. And the Bible says the graves will be opened. And they that are asleep in Christ shall be raised up. And we will not precede them, not prevent them. The Bible says it means precede. Here they come up out of the graves. 
and we, hallelujah, rise up together with them. And so death has forever lost its power. Hallelujah. God gives. The devil tries to take away. He got Peter. After that, the ear was healed. Peter ran. Loving Christ still. Loving Him. And yet a few moments later, a few hours later, he could stand in front of a fire, warming himself at the fire, the terrible events that were taking place all around him, and say, when a little girl said, I know that you are one of them, your speech betrays you, you are a Galilean, the Bible says he cursed and he swore and said, I do not know him. And thus the devil succeeded in separating Peter from Christ, not Christ from Peter. Not Jesus from Peter, but Peter from the Lord. And then Peter sees the Lord, and he goes out and he wept bitterly, the Bible said, weeps, cries, what have I done? And he feels that the Lord could never have anything more to do with him. And he sets and wallows in his pity and his sorrow and his agony. The devil did it. He destroyed Peter's relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But Christ is a giver. Hallelujah. After his resurrection, he says to one of the ladies who came and saw him, said, go tell the disciples. And now notice how he singles out someone so beautifully. Go tell the disciples and Peter that I want to see him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The devil robbed. Jesus says, I'm going to give it back to you. Hallelujah. Now, if you can understand his nature then by the grace of God, may you develop a hatred for him and his dirty works. Amen. You will get to the place where you cannot pamper sickness in yourself. Although if you're down with it or another's down with it, you're not to condemn them or to make them feel cheap or hurt them in any way, but to look at that sickness and say, this is not the work of God. It is the work of the devil and hate that work. Let yourself become inflamed with a desire to see the glory of God, for God wants to give that person health. When you see the works of poverty, people starving and hungry, don't say, well, that's fine. It's the way it ought to be. Hate the works of poverty. And that's not the same thing as Paul is talking about when he said, I've learned how to be abased and how to abound. There's a time which in our life God deliberately sends us through something and we know it's the hand of the Lord and we say, praise God, that's just wonderful, Father. You can tell because there's a joy in your spirit. You know what's happening. And I can see Paul out there going through all kinds of things. For instance, one of the typical things that I'm talking about is when he's in this jail and his back is beaten open for the gospel's sake and he's in the stocks. And in the middle of it all, devil, I suppose, was rejoicing, thinking, boy, have we really give him a load to remember now. Till Paul begins to sound off along about midnight and starts praising the Lord. Hallelujah. Comes out on the other side. See? Paul stirred up trouble for him everywhere that he went. Now, there's a natural order of things that the Lord Jesus Christ has. I want to read this to you. Would you turn with me to Luke, the fourth chapter, and verse 18? The Lord tells what he came for. We already know what the devil came for, what he's here for, what he intends to do. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me 
to preach the gospel to the poor. Hallelujah. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Now let's see what the Lord has come for. He has come to preach the gospel to who? The poor. Why to the poor? Because in the day in which he lived, the synagogues were set up to minister to the needs of the well-to-do. The poor were let know very quickly in the natural order of things. They weren't really too welcome. Some poor publican would come humbly up to the house of God, couldn't even look up, smote himself on the breast and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, stand there broken. And then some Pharisee would walk in. Now, I don't mean all men who have money are Pharisees by no means, because I'm telling you, it's God's will to prosper you. But there's a difference between a man who is prospered in God, and he's got a free and open giving spirit, and a man who has just made it by getting it and hanging on to it, and he has no relationship to God or to man. That's a different type of thing altogether. But this Pharisee walks in, and he looks over here at this publican, and he starts praying. Now you imagine your feelings if you were standing here someplace in this congregation, and you got up and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then someone would look at you and say, God, I'm thankful that I'm not like that. That publican, sinner, oh, I'm thankful that I'm not filthy like he is, dirty like he is, rotten like he is. I'm thankful that I'm righteous. Now you can imagine how long that publican would want to come to that church. I tell you, the preaching of the Word in those days was set up to be preached to those who could afford it. And Jesus came to do what? To preach the gospel to the poor. Free of charge. Said, here, hallelujah, it's yours. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil robbed the people of the generation to which Christ came. He robbed them of the right to hear the word. They were illiterate, most of them. The scrolls were expensive. They were only kept in certain archives. The common person could not have it, and he wasn't welcome in the synagogues. No wonder they sat in darkness. Jesus said, I am come to give the gospel to the poor. Jesus is a giver. The devil is a thief. The rich of that day could afford the physicians as long as they had money. Thank God there's more mercy in our day than there was in that day. At least there are welfare institutions for those who are poor. They can still receive medical help. But in those days, if you did not have the wherewithal, you died, that's all. Told about one woman who came to the Lord Jesus Christ. She had an issue of blood flowing out of her body, hemorrhaging continually. The Bible says she spent all of her money on physicians. She didn't want to die. 
spent all of her living on physician and was nothing better but rather grew worse. And when it was all gone, they wanted nothing more to do with her. And that thing grew worse and worse and worse and threatened to take her life. And she heard about Jesus. Hallelujah. The devil was getting ready to rob her of what years she had left to serve God. And she said, I've heard about this Jesus. He is a giver. Hallelujah. And she heard that he was coming along a certain roadway. And she said, as she saw him coming within herself, she said, I know if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. How much money do you want for this operation, Jesus? Not a thing. Do you have to have a long consultation? I don't even have to know you're there. You just have to reach out in love and faith. And he went on by. I don't know how she got through there, weak as she was, but some divine determination came into her. And as he went by, she reached out and touched the hem of his garment. And immediately she knew within herself she was healed. Hallelujah. Jesus turned around and said, Who touched me? Well, you're being jostled by the crowd of people everywhere, and you say, who touched you? Oh, he said, I don't mean like this. I mean, who touched me? For I perceive that divine life has gone out of me. And she, trembling within herself, came forward and said, Lord, it was me, and I've been healed. And he said, go in peace, daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. The devil lost another victim. Hallelujah. Jesus, the giver, gave her back her health and her life again. Another woman, the Bible says, caught in adultery in the very act by those who were self-righteous. Here! We caught this woman in adultery in the very act. Now Moses said to kill her. What do you say? The Bible says Jesus said nothing. He simply wrote down in the sand, stooped down in the sand and began to write. I don't know what he wrote. Some said he wrote the Ten Commandments. That would have been a good thing for any of those Pharisees to look at. I know they never really looked at it. They could repeat them, but they never looked at them. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not. The Bible says from the eldest to the youngest, were standing there with great stones in their hand to stone her. They dropped their stones in the shame. They went away from that place. The devil is stirring up those men with self-righteousness. We're here to protect the laws of God. We're going to kill this woman. They didn't care anything about that. They knew where to find her when they wanted her. She'd been around doing that for a long, long time. They never bothered her before. They weren't interested in protecting the laws of God. They were interested in laying a trap for Jesus. They were filled with the spirit of their father, the devil. They were there to take his life, and they were there to take her life. When Jesus finished dealing with them, they snuck off into the dark corners from which they came. And the woman, fearing and trembling, finally lifted her eyes. And he said, Woman, where are thine accusers? Doth no man condemn thee? She looked around. They were all gone. And she said, No man, Lord. And he said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Free, go serve God. Let the radiance of your smile and the joy, the beauty of the new creation in you, let it shine out now, woman. said, I will, Lord. I will. And she went forth from that place loving with the love of God. Jesus had given. The devil was taking away. Oh, I tell you, you find this every place. To bring the gospel to the poor 
to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus has some unique ways of doing that. Told the story of a funeral in the Bible. Must have been a sad and terrible thing to watch that thing come down the street. This mother dearly loved her son. He come to the years of manhood where the flower of his strength was beginning to manifest itself. And I don't know what happened. Maybe it was like the ruler which came to Jesus and said, Come now, my daughter is even now right at the point of death. But if you touch her, she'll live. Jesus was advancing a little way toward the man's house, and the people came out and said, Don't trouble the teacher anymore. She's already dead. And you watch this funeral procession coming down the street, and the coffin leading the procession, the wailers and the mourners coming and crying and wailing, and the mother weeping. And he walked up to it. Can you see her brokenhearted? Walked up to the coffin and said, Open that coffin up. Why, it's unheard of. That's unbelievable that anyone would intrude into a thing of that solemnity. Open it up. He opened it. And he steps up to it and says, Jesus the giver. The devil had robbed her. Jesus gives. He said, I say unto thee, Arise. And he sat up and was made whole and was restored to his mother. Hallelujah. He heals the brokenhearted. Preach deliverance to the captives. The recovering of sight to the blind. I don't have to comment on that. Set at liberty them that are bruised. That we might have life and life more abundantly. That we may prosper and be in health even as our soul prospers. Now I'd like you to turn to Ephesians 3.20. Now we come back to the subject that I led up to tonight. Now unto him, speaking here of God, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now please notice this. According to the power that worketh in us. Now why does the Bible say at this point according to the power that worketh in us? Because you are not going to receive the fullness of the blessing of God unless that power which works in you has free manifestation and free course. You are being resisted by all of the force that the enemy has at his disposal to stop you from receiving the blessings of God. It is his purpose to resist you on every hand. He is resisting your health. He is resisting your sanity. He's resisting your stability. He's resisting your home that he can break it apart. He's resisting your rule over your children that they might become rebellious. He's resisting your relationship to your brothers and sisters in Christ. He's resisting your ability to love. He's resisting everything that God wants you to have. Now, God is not willing that you should suffer, except that you suffer in that ultimate victory. It is the devil that wants you to suffer and bring you to defeat. What the Bible says, our God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to what? According to the power that works within us. Brother, the devil is a power and he's coming at us.
The devil is a power and he's coming to the people of the world to bind them and to bind you. To bind me. To bind the church. To bind the universe. And if you're going to be free, you're going to have to know the truth and the power that that truth has generated within you and use that against the forces of the enemy. The Bible says if you what? Resist the devil... He will flee from you. Now we're talking about warfare. Warfare. I want you to know the devil creates sickness. He creates madness, disease, and physical impairment. He creates sickness by one of two ways. And there may be others I don't understand, but I understand these two ways. Number one, he creates sickness by causing my attitudes to be wrong. There was a man who made a study some time ago of people who were unusually healthy and those who had a great measure of sickness, illness. And he discovered a remarkable relationship between those who were sick in their bodies and those who held certain attitudes about life. Those people who were always tensed up because they could not rest in Jesus. Those people who were always angry because they felt somebody was doing wrong to them and was going to get the better of them. Those people who were always fearful and thought that something terrible was surely going to happen to them in their lifetime. Those people who were suspicious always of the motives of others. He found out as he studied these people, they were sick far more. Some several, many, many, many times more. They suffered from all kinds of ailments. Heart trouble, lung trouble, bone trouble. All kinds of troubles. Scientists have been studying for years to wonder why that's so. Find out why that's so. And they're beginning to get a little glimpse of it. When you have those types of attitudes in your life, I want to read them to you. Here is a list of sickness-provoking attitudes. Turn with me to the book of Galatians. And I've got to make it clear that everyone that is sick is not sick because they're living the wrong way. But I'm telling you, this is one very big area that the devil uses to produce sickness in us. Now the works of the flesh is the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians, 19th verse. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery and fornication. Now I'll guarantee you any man indulging in loose sex always has over his head the feeling that this time he's messed around with the wrong man's wife. And he's going to be found out, and somebody may blow his head off. And the burden of guilt and fear rests upon him. When he's out committing fornication, he's always trembling that he's fooling around with the wrong man's sister, or the wrong man's daughter, or the wrong man's fiancée. Somebody may pound him into the ground. 
fear, guilt, wondering when it's coming. Uncleanness, lasciviousness. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. I hate that person. You can feel the muscles tighten up. You can feel the adrenaline begin to flow into the system. And I'm telling you something, when that adrenaline flows into the system, it doesn't have a way to get rid of it. In other words, a natural thing. If we're frightened because of some natural thing that occurs, let's say that we're caught in a place that's dangerous, we fall off a cliff and we happen to catch a tree, adrenaline will flow into the blood. And that's a good purpose for that adrenaline. It'll make your muscles stronger. You're able to react quickly. The blood flows away from your stomach. Blood flows to your brain. And you're able to do marvelous physical feats. But you've got to burn up that adrenaline. But I'm telling you something. If you've got the spirit of hatred, if you've got, I hate this one, and that one, and that one, and that one. Or like some people talk about an angry young man that is angry all the time. Filled with hatred all the time. That adrenaline keeps pouring into the bloodstream in far greater amounts than it ought to be with no way to work it off. And sooner or later, the body is not able to maintain itself. It's fighting hard to hold off this poison that is continually flowing into its system. And at some point, some weaker than others are exposed to more stress or strain, just simply breaks down under the load. And sickness takes over. The devil is able to attack that area, and illness, disease, and incipient death begins. I'd like to read the rest of these things, and you examine your own hearts. Hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, divisions or seditions, heresies, envyings. Oh, how many people are filled with that horrible disease? Murders. The Bible says we hate our brother, we're already a murderer. Drunkenness, no man can indulge in that stuff without feeling the penalty of it. Revelings and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And brother, not only will they not inherit the kingdom of God, in most cases they will be sick and they will be ill and they will be diseased as a result of their living. Study was made of the people who are unusually well. And he listed off the qualities. They have peace of mind. They're quiet, relatively able to take the things, the ups and downs of life with equanimity. Let me read something to you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, Meekness, temperance. Hallelujah. How's the devil going to attack you then? Hallelujah. Where's an opening? There isn't any. Hallelujah. Jesus gives you peace. The devil takes it away if he can. Jesus sets you free from fear. The devil will fill you with fear if he can. He creates sickness by filling us with attitudes and emotional responses of fear. He creates sickness by direct attack. In the case of Job, I've already told you about that. Turn with me to Mark 5, verse 1 to 17. I'm going to show you how he creates insanity. A lot of the people we see today in our asylums, they say it's a chemical imbalance. I'll tell you many times it's nothing more than a demonic attack on that individual. And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs 
a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. He was mad. He was insane. And no man could bind him. He had tremendous strength, like many madmen have, many times the strength of a normal man. No man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. It was insane. The devil had done it to him. I don't know what the man did to deserve it. He did something, no doubt, maybe he didn't. That's not the point. But somehow the devil had gotten into him. Now, this was not just an attack upon his flesh. I'll show you that's one type of thing. But in this case, the devil had gotten into the man. The Bible calls it possession. And not only one, but it became two, then five, then fifty. And finally, the Bible tells us a legion, and they possessed him. And they tried to bind him with chains, and he plucked them asunder, and he broke the fetters in pieces, and he wandered in the mountains and the tombs, always day and night, crying out and cutting himself with stones, and no man could tame him. Luke says exceeding fierce, so that no one could even come that way. And Jesus steps out on the shore, the giver, hallelujah, to confront the devil who is the robber, the thief. Somehow when Jesus stands there, those devils in that man knew their game was up, hallelujah. I don't know if there was something in his divine spirit that gave those demons a command and said, come here. Jesus said to those demon spirits, come down here. And they came and ran and fell down and worshipped him, trembling. Oh, you said, well, they wouldn't worship Jesus. Oh, not voluntarily they wouldn't. But the Bible says the devils know that there's one God and they tremble. Came and fell down and worshipped him and said, Jesus, are you come to torment us before the time? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus said, hold your peace and come out of here. They said, don't send us out into the pit. There's a herd of swine over there. Let us go into them if you're going to make us come out. They said, go. And they went. And here this man, body scarred, naked, mad. A few moments later, the people of the city came out to see what had happened to this maniac of Gadara. And they saw him sitting quietly at the feet of Jesus in his right mind and clothed fully. Jesus, the giver, hallelujah. The devil is a robber. But do you understand that sickness is the work of the devil? That madness is the work of the devil? And whether it comes about because of wrong attitudes that lets him attack us, or for some spiritual lack that lets him attack us, it is all the work of the devil. It is not the work of God. Sometimes it's true that God steps back, but it's always, you can always know it, that sickness certainly is the work of Satan himself. 
madness, insanity, sickness, physical impairment, disease. Look at Luke, the ninth chapter, would you please? Verse 38. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is mine only child. Now, this man had greater understanding than we have today. We would say, look upon my child because he's sick. He said, look upon my child because he has a demon that takes him. And lo, a spirit taketh him, and he suddenly crieth out. This thing came upon him and seized him, and he cried out, screamed maybe, and it careth him that he foameth again. Ripped at his stomach, tore at his lungs. He screamed as the pain and the agony hit him, and then he began to foam. Bible talks about he wallowed, foaming agonizing on the ground, screaming, and the foam coming out of his mouth. Horrible thing to behold. Lo, a spirit taken thee suddenly crieth out, it teareth him, that he foameth again, and bruising him hardly, departeth from him. And I brought him the disciples to cast him out, and they could not. Jesus answering and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. And as he was yet a-coming, the devil threw him down and tear him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. Now, you know what this generation is waiting to see? That power which is within you manifesting itself. Now, we have not manifested that power because our eyes have been blind to the source of these things. Now, I charge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and not get into any fanatical yelling and screaming type of thing, commanding devils and this and that and the other thing. But I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to search the Scriptures and see what your authority is. Not how loud you can yell. Not how much you can jump up and down and scream at the people and shake them. That's not what we're talking about. But whether that quiet authority that is the result of prayer and fasting and the knowledge of the truth comes into your life, that you're able to speak to sickness, that you're able to speak to disease, that you're able to speak to madness, that you're able to speak to insanity, that you're able to speak to impairment, and recognize it for what it is and command it quietly in the name of Jesus Christ to leave that person. There are brothers and sisters today who are beginning to fast and pray. Thank God. That's the beginning. Jesus said of a certain type of demon, as a matter of fact, it's this very case. He said this kind, however, this kind of faith to cast out those demonic forces does not come except by prayer and fasting. I'm glad to see this beginning in this body of people. And not any light fasting, but true seeking of God. Look with me, please, if you will, to a daughter of Abraham. This is Luke, the 13th chapter, and the 11th verse. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. And Jesus calls her a daughter of Abraham. And was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. 
Now, have you seen her? What would you have said? She has her back out of joint. She has arthritis. She has a muscular spasm that won't quit. Did she need her nerve severed? Or did she need a disc removed? Jesus recognized a far different source of her problem. He said she had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. And he walked over to her. Please notice this. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him. Now, I tell you something. When I look at Jesus' dealings with people, I am astounded. I would in the natural say, I won't call her to me. I will go to her because it's cruel to make her walk over to me. I dealt with this subject a few weeks ago of how Jesus dealt with people, and it's a mind-blowing experience to look at it, to honestly say, how would I have reacted if I had seen that? Jesus' dealings with people were remarkable, to say the least. He says to this woman, he saw her, and he says, come here. And she's bowed over. And can no life straighten herself up? This terrible pain seizing her back. Come here. He's a fine strapping man. Why doesn't he go to her? I think we need to learn Jesus' methods of dealing with people. Come here. And she makes her way painless to him. How far, I don't know. And when she gets to him, he says to her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hand upon her, and she straightened up and was made whole and glorified God. Eighteen years. Now, when the ruler of the synagogue saw it, he answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. In them, therefore, come and be healed, but not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath day loose his ox or his ass from the stall and take them away to the watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom, listen to this word, whom Satan hath bound low these eighteen years, be loose from this bond? On the Sabbath day, called sickness a bond, said it was the bondage of Satan. He had her bound, and now Jesus loosed her. Said she had a spirit of infirmity, and it held her, and she was bent and twisted all out of shape. And the amazing thing is, as soon as the spirit was gone, she was perfectly whole. Now, I don't know what a doctor would have found if he'd have examined her back. I think he'd have found all kinds of reasons to believe that she just had a natural illness. Jesus looked at the real source and said, Devil, let her go. And immediately she straightened up and was made whole. Matthew 4.24, Matthew 8.6, and many other verses, you don't have to turn to them, calls sickness torment. Now, torment always requires a tormentor. Jesus said, to a man who gets in trouble over a debt, you will be delivered to the prison and to the tormentors. 
Jesus talks about sickness and says of people, they were tormented of the devil. He speaks, or rather the New Testament does, of certain men laying at home, grievously vexed. Vexing requires a vexer. The devil is the tormentor. The devil is the disease maker. The devil is the infirmity bringer. The devil produces insanity. Jesus delivers. But in this world, there are millions of people occupying hospital beds, Christians as well as sinners, who are grievously vexed of the devil, and this generation is getting ready to see God's healing power manifested. Let me read the final one scripture. Acts 10, verse 38. God here sums up the whole question. Start with the 37th verse. That word I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Now remember he said, God has anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor, deliver the captives, open the eyes of the blind. Now God sums it up in a different way. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all, and now he sums it up all under one classification. Healing all over what? Oppressed of the devil. That's the source of it. That's the source of it. Now learn to deal in that area. And I'll tell you something we'll begin to fulfill in all power, the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. That's God's word. Give. Give to people health. Give to people life. Give to people salvation. Give to people forgiveness of sins. Give, give, give. Go into the prison houses where the devil has men captive and tear open those doors and set men free. Open the eyes of the blind. Let them see the gospel. Let them see the light of day. Heal their souls. Heal their minds. Heal their spirits. Heal their bodies. The word salvation in the Greek means total deliverance for the spirit, the soul, and the body. Now, beginning next week, next Sunday night, I have two more areas that I want to cover, and then I want to show you how you are to deal in this area and come against these forces in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And already, I'm beginning to hear testimonies, because we've discussed this a little bit. God opened the eyes of some of the brothers who were down fasting and praying, down in the cabin a couple, three weeks ago, and already... God has delivered one person of a cancer and another person whose back was all twisted out of shape. God instantly healed it as hands were laid upon that back. It is beginning to take place. Beginning to take place. This generation must know 
that God is alive and the same today as he was yesterday and the same as he'll be forever. Amen. Amen. Bow your heads with me in a word of prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, once again we have dealt with this subject of spiritual warfare. And from the Scripture, Lord, though the devil has tried to blind our eyes to it, you have opened our eyes to see his activities ever more clearly. How he works to rob everyone of every decent and good thing that you've desired that men should have because you're a loving and a good God. Now, Father... My prayer and the prayer of this whole congregation is, Mighty Father, that you open our eyes and you cause our spirits to take hold of your truth and you cause this mighty power which is already in us to burst out, Lord, in every channel of healing and every channel of deliverance and every channel of blessing that this generation shall know that our God lives. Hallelujah. Now, Father, we commit this part of the service into your hand. Grant this, Father, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.